Hello everyone and welcome back again to the Boosting Gains podcast. I'm your host Cedric and in this episode I get to have a conversation with a very good friend of mine Nishan about the impact of colonization on the formal colonies. Mainly Ghana and India since that's where uh, we're both from and also we talk about um, how we saw these effects uh, whilst growing up in these countries. Now just a quick disclaimer, uh, this is purely our opinions and we thought it would be interesting to discuss and see what the similarities or differences uh, might be. Um, So please enjoy this episode and let's get right into it. Nishant, my brother, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. And um, before we we, we actually talk about our topic or what we're going to discuss, uh, the one thing I like to do is just, uh, you know, for my guests to give us a bit of a background as to who they are, where they're from, you know, a little bit about yourself for, for the audience to get to know you a little bit. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, first of all. And second, I'll try to keep my introduction relevant to the topic. So I'm not talking about who I date and whatnot. I just want to talk about Basically, the fact that I was born in India, raised in India until I was 18 years old, I came to the U.S. for college, and since then I've been working as an engineer. So that's been about 10 years since I've come to the United States. So that's my story. Awesome, awesome. So, um, you know, before we even dive deeper into today's topic, which is going to be Um, the effects of colonization on the former colonies, right? And, of course, you know, you being from India, colonized by by the British, uh, same thing as Ghana. So I think we would definitely have something good to say or some similarities. But just tell us a little bit about your upbringing. When you were in India, how life was like, like in school and just a little bit, because I know as we talk about the different um, points that we might have, uh, some of these will come up. Okay, so once again, I'll try to pick out things that were relevant to British, which basically was most of, it was a lot of things. I mean, it's kind of hard to separate. So, for instance, every 15th of August is the Indian Independence Day, and it's a pretty big event in our school. You have the day off, but you're still supposed to show up, but you don't have classes. And it's just a bunch of things that celebrate India and everything that it means to be Indian. I, I put that those two in quotes because, I mean, ultimately, who decides what India is? Mm. So it's sort, of, it's sort of up in the air, but the focus is more on the fact that India is an independent nation mm-hmm. and celebrating that fact on that day. Okay, so um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about India's independence because from history or from what I know, um, even in terms of like discovering of like Africa or like, you know, some of the colonization that happened in Africa. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I think like the British or the Europeans were trying to find a better trade route to India for uh, spice trade and things like that. I mean, during that time period, there was no colonization going on, was it? Did you call it discovery of Africa? I think you meant discovery of America, right? There you go. Discovery of America. Yeah. So apparently the story we are told in India is there's this guy called Vasco da Gama and he was trying to find his way to India. Mm -hmm. And apparently he landed up in, well, in the Americas Mm -hmm. and 
the Caribbeans. Damn it. We need to yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I messed up, dude. It was not that. Apparently, this guy is credited for finding this, uh, the, 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 the actual route to India. Mm-hmm. Vasco da Gama is uh, credited with that. I don't know uh, to what extent that's true. I mean, India, Indians were trading with Africans in Southeast Asia for thousands of years before mm-hmm. that. So, I don't even know what that means, really, finding the trade route to India. But, yeah, I think the, uh, Columbus, I think Columbus was trying to get to India and then he landed up at mm-hmm. Ameri- mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. He looked at the natives and he was like, hmm, you guys are going to be Indians from now on. And yeah. West Indies. That's oh, how well, the West yeah, Indies I mean, about. that's, and, and he was, they were probably like, nah, we're not Indians. And he was like, nope, nope, you are. So they, they get to be called uh, Indians. Now. Okay. Let's not, let's not deviate too far into the whole, that side of colonization and all that. But um, I know there's some pointers that you have, or actually like, Today's main topic is pretty much, you know, like uh, once again, the effect of colonization on the former colonies. So we're just going to dive right into it. Um, so first of all, you tell us about, uh, you know, some of the effects that you saw or, you know, um, some of the effects that you saw whilst you were growing up in India. Sure. So it's kind of hard to actually put a... To, uh, to pinpoint some of these things just because like a lot of other things these things affect our his it affected every part of our lives just given the history that it has and it's sometimes hard to analyze it but i think some things stand out to me and i've become more aware of this when i left india and i went to other places so for instance language and religion were were two pretty big things okay and so let's talk about uh, religion because for me, if you ask if you ask me about India and religion, um, I personally don't see a lot of the British or the European influence, right? But emphasize on that because, and the reason why I'm saying that is because of like the different religions, and you know when we think about India, and even when we think about religion in India, we don't think straight up like Christianity. So please emphasize on that, like how you you think that. Um, European rule had ha, ha, has an effect even now on on um, on India. So I think the way it does is it sort of, in a way, culturally appropriated India's religion to make it more, to present it in a way that was in line with Western religions. So India had a lot of native beliefs cultures and there was a lot of commonality between them Mm -hmm. and you also had islam come in you had christians christian missionaries come in over the years and the native the the indigenous cultures i mean obviously there was buddhism and other things that originated there but these indigenous philosophies they weren't really religions in the sense you didn't have a, a prophet and someone a a book to to follow so it Mm -hmm. was different but that was not in line with what people are familiar with outside of India. So it was given this, it, uh, the, this idea was pushed onto it that Hinduism, was, it, the whole thing came to be called as Hinduism. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was coined. I mean, they just took these, this, uh, the spectrum of native beliefs mm-hmm. and they called it one religion. And mm-hmm. then they, that's why I say culturally appropriated because they took, concepts that are true of western religions Mm -hmm. oh i shouldn't call them western religions i mean they all originated mostly from the israel area around there so 
all the Abrahamic religions mm-hmm. and they push the same idea onto these. Now, who did this? It could either... I, I, I can't say the British did this, nor can I say that it was a reaction to the British influence when people tried to fight back that they tried to make a culture out of the native beliefs. But that is the effect that to this day and age, people are constantly trying to describe our, the religion that we have in India, the predominant religions that we have in India in the same way that you would describe Christianity or Islam or something like that, wherein you have a book, you have a... a they try to make profits and they try... They, it has been... Yeah, culturally appropriated. That's the only way I can say. I see. Okay, so um, I think from what you say, I like to speak on that a bit in terms of like Ghana. How how um, I think it's a little different for Ghana because you know growing up and once again, like I said, I can only speak on the things that I know, the things that I ex- I experienced. But growing up in Ghana, of course, there were a lot of um, uh, indigenous religions, right, or indigenous beliefs. Um, you know, there are even in Kumasi, where I'm from, you know, we still have people that believe they go to church just fine, but they still believe in other call it gods or other, they have other beliefs. Um, you know, they call ancestors and, 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 and just different practices that they have. Right. But, um, in terms of like, we talking about the effects, um, that is kind of looked down on, right. Um, in Ghana, we see that as you know if you call in this ancestor or you're praying to this thing river or whatever we're looking at you like that is a bad thing right um now the the question for me has always been like who are we to say those beliefs and those practices are bad right um but now i guess with the introduction of christianity and islam there are so many people in the country that are that are either Christians or, or, or Muslims, and we look at those indigenous religions as as a bad thing. Um, so even in schools, like it's really forced on the students to be uh, Christians, or you know, if you go to um, not so much for, even for Islam, but I can speak on the Christian Christianity because that's how I grew up. That you know, in schools, and even my grandma would tell you that back when they were growing up, their schools and the churches you go to the you go to a, a school that belongs to the church right so if you don't show up to church on a sunday and monday you come to school they know that and you're gonna get beat for that right or if you let's say was to practice a different type of religion they're gonna beat you for that right so i think that's some of the effects that even till now like if you go to ghana and maybe you can speak on that a bit uh for us to get a, a bit more uh, understanding of the Indian religion or whatever you want, you want to call it. It's even now in Ghana, there are just so many churches, right? There's churches in every corner. Um, everybody wants to get into, um, uh, into how do you say, ministry. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I feel like the whole reason for, 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 for being a preacher or, or ministry has just been lost. Right. I see. So for you, how how is that? Like in India, um, let, let's let's go with even Christianity or Islam. Is it something that's commonly practiced? And you know, even with conflicts between the different religions, how is that right now? Right, that's 
something yeah i i i totally forgot to even touch upon this topic so yeah if i had to give a breakdown it's it's about 80% would consider themselves to be hindus mm. uh, and 13% 13 would consider themselves to be muslims and it's about 6% christians uh, i'd say that the vast majority of christians fall into a state in in pretty much the south all the way in the south or in the northeast of india and those are the two major regions where it's concentrated christian populations and as for the 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 impact on religion itself the way you mentioned it it mm-hmm. hasn't been that way in the sense it's possible that the british always considered india to be a a trade a lucrative trade a lucrative area for financial gain mm-hmm. so they sort of wanted to exploit the the financial aspect of it and they didn't particularly care so much about pushing their religion onto the local populace hmm. so to speak but i mean if you if we're talking about even governance right religion could be a a tool or a way to to govern right and with indian with india being a british con- colony how was that governance how was that how was it governed if there was not such a big religious influence gotcha i i i see exactly what you're saying now so it, it, it sounds almost like in ghana it was used as a as a way to bring more uniformity so that they could better govern so in india what they had to do was slightly different cuz india first of all had a it had established civilizations all as far as 5000 years ago and it had invasions from from the west from yeah mostly from the west of india mm. and there was a mix of cultures there were you could also call it racial mix and taking uh, taking place at various points there mm. there were uh, there was mass migration so you had civilizations that were extremely powerful in these areas that that could dominate any forces that invaded it so they couldn't come in and sort of just take over as such so they had to play politics mm. and this was something that we learned a lot growing up and it was basically how the uk well how the british uh, used all these different warring regions which were vying for power they just played smart politics and they used them against each other and and slowly they just got i mean they they played their puppets right and they they became the, the puppeteers and then they were the only masters okay. in charge now do you by any chance know how long that rule was like um yeah british rule so it originated towards the end of there was a uh, there was a what we call the mughal dynasty which was islamic mm-hmm. until the 1600s it was really powerful and that's when the british east india company ca- came into being mm-hmm. it was one of the first publicly traded companies in the world and then they started to expand their spheres of influence because they realized that they could gain more by controlling administration and whatnot so between 1650 to 1950 was was when the british rule went through this phase of being just a company to being literally the masters of everything in india back to once again giving up after the last of the world wars but yeah during this time they really had to play those politics mm-hmm. to make these different warring groups fight against each other so they they support a muslim ruler in one place they support a hindu ruler in one place mm-hmm. make them go yeah, one against the other yeah. yeah and they just play these politics so they use the local religions that already existed the tools that already existed mm-hmm. the systems that already existed mm-hmm. 
to their advantage. So they didn't have to create something from scratch to uniformize the whole thing. But they used it to split people and keep them apart. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I think we touched up a bit on the religion part. All right. So the next one I have in my um, in my uh, topics or things to discuss is language. Um, so if you want to start with that, then I can add on to that. Yeah. To me, language is actually a really personal one because it's interesting. So in my family, I, and I think this is becoming more and more typical of India, of a lot of people in India where you associate English with progress, modernity, and with everything good. Mm. And it's a, it's obviously shallow. I mean, as anyone would, would, who, who thinks about these things would understand, but there's also a correlation. I mean, back in the day, people who could speak English had better job opportunities. They probably were educated. That's right. And sure, I can see why the correlation came into existence. But yeah, in my family... My parents taught me and my brother to speak English at home. I mean, we started off speaking Telugu, our native language, but it became a thing where we'd speak in English. And then it was only after I came to America that I realized how much of my culture I actually lost. Mm. Because until that point, I was one of those people, until a few years before that, I was one of those people who who looked down upon our native language mm. and i'd look at english as being something magical so when you were growing up um you have how many siblings one one, one. Si- but we have a bunch of cousins okay so, so everybody would kind of speak english among right. each other yes and what happened if the other person was would speak uh, the native language that that's what happened with one of my little cousins and we constantly kept trying to encourage him to learn English because we, in our world, believed that we knew what was right and that that was the, that was the way to live. Now, did you, do, what, why do you think your parents were enforcing those on you? It was lives? opportunities. It, and there's absolutely no denying that it opened up new doors, new opportunities, mm-hmm. knowing English. Mm-hmm. It's just that I felt like after I came here, I realized how much I lost mm-hmm. by not knowing how, how little, because... Medium sure, I mean, language sure is just is a medium for communication. Mm-hmm. But I think it actually goes a lot deeper than that because it, it's such a it's a it's a kind of medium that ties in with so many things mm-hmm. that you miss out on a lot of those nuances, cultural nuances. Mm-hmm. Like there are sayings or, or so to speak. There are things that only make sense in one language. Right. They're lost in translation. Mm-hmm. And if you are in that location, in that geographic location, in that cultural context, and you cannot understand what that means, or you, you because of your choice in language, you mm-hmm. miss out on that, you're just going to miss out on that whole expression. Mm-hmm. You, it's That wisdom is going to bypass you. That's right. And I realized things like that, the, the subtle things like that, and they start to have an incremental effect over time. And that's when I realized that I need to take my native language more seriously. I mean, I came here, I saw people speaking in Spanish, I saw people taking pride in speaking in Mandarin, all of these things. And then I realized that, wait a second, I need to change the way I speak mm. to to people at home. That's and right. so I started to pick up my own native language. And, and now it's entirely, there's not a word of English. When I, I see. So, very good point, man. Um, the language effect, um, 
and I think I can I can definitely I I totally understand what you're saying because I've seen that right um back in Ghana yes when we're in school and you know the teachers would tell us I, I don't know if that was the same in India but they would tell us no speaking of we call it vernacular language right like you don't speak the local language in school um and if you did you get punished for 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 speaking that right um even in the neighborhood if you know and we were kids maybe under i don't know under 10 years old or whatever and you know somebody speaks english to their fellow friend or whatever and they can't reply or they get it wrong we laugh at them because it's like you need to know you need to know how to speak english right but you know and i'm same position as you um growing up you know being influenced by a lot of even books or like movies and music and things like that you get to pick up on a lot of english so i never had a a problem with speaking english or whatever but the thing is i realized that in school when we would have an assignment or a reading assignment let's say it's uh yeah english reading assignment and i didn't understand it i had to always think about it in the local language like if you give me a ma- math problem, like a word, what you call it? Uh, uh, we call it well, like a word, math word problem, right? I have to think about it in the local language to be to to kind of get that understanding because sometimes if I re- read it in English, I wouldn't get it. And this is quite crucial or very important because there were a bunch of people in school that I you know uh, was in same class with. And they were in good. They were they were really bad with English, math, science, a lot of language, a lot of topics that is taught in English, right? They were really bad at that. But when it came to our local language, like um, uh, a su- uh, well, we had we had a subject. Uh, well, the uh, local language is called tree. So we had a tree uh, cl- uh, class. They were the best. They were smart. Like they would they would speak that tree like no other. And we would laugh at them that they know too much or how is it that you know this, but you don't know English. Like, you know, when it comes to science, you bad. When it comes to math, you bad. Because everything is written in English, right? So I'm just thinking about what if, just like China or Japan or these other countries, what if everything else, right, was taught in tree from from Beth, right? How good are these students going to be, right? I mean, what kind of innovation can come out of out of out of, the, uh, of of these countries if everything is being taught in the local language? Because just like I was thinking and 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 deciphering or whatever you want to call it, like whatever I read to Chi, what about those people that they don't have to decipher that because you're already teaching that thing in in, in the local language? So I think that's definitely something that. Um, let's say if I had any type of power or any type of influence, um, would be addressed and we can see that happening right now, even in China, right? right? They do their own thing. Yes. They speak English because, or they learn English because they want to be able to, 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 um, transact or communicate with outside countries. Right. But if they didn't have to do that, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't. Right. And they would be just fine. Right. So, um, definitely. On that note, yeah, the what 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 you're talking about is the whole medium of instruction stuff that happens. So, for for instance, my grandmother she she studied entirely in mediums of instruction that were not English. My dad 
studied in medium of instruction that was not English and until he realized how few I mean it was the primary mode of instruction you learned everything in this in uh, my in my grandmother's case there were it was a bunch of different languages in my dad's case it was Telugu our language and you well he learned all these things but he realized how much it was affecting his job prospects and his ability to to obtain things in society and so he made a switch he picked up english and and from then on he went and he went on to become a doctor so mm-hmm. it was really useful to him mm-hmm. to actually but yeah you can understand why he would do that though yes and for me or my mom for instance we we learned entirely in english and so we didn't have we, we didn't have to go through that that pain of first picking up in one uh, yeah we 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 could read stuff from almost any part of the world that was written in english mm-hmm. and it would make complete sense to us and there was yeah we it was easier for us in that case but to this day schools which have their medium of instruction not english are considered inferior mm. and people don't prefer those mm. so you, we call them schools that are run by the government government schools mm. they're usually free yeah. and these places you don't have instructors who can speak english they still know their material i mean math science goes beyond language obviously mm-hmm. so it exists but people don't like it right. and so you always want to put your kid in a school that has its medium of instruction That's as english. english yeah okay all right so the next thing we have on uh the agenda is of course culture so we talked uh you know i put into parentheses here like our traditions our arts um taboos and what not so take it away so the most interesting one for me was sports and this is one of those which you know i mean all the fucked up stuff that am i allowed to swear oh i did <laughs> all the fucked up stuff that the colonization brought mm-hmm. i think one thing that it did do that benefited us was since they colonized most since europeans colonized most of the world and japanese did in the east but since europeans did this for most of the world they were able to bring things to the rest of the world that you can use to unite people mm-hmm. and i think soccer spread that way mm-hmm. and in the case of uh, yeah i'm actually surprised ghana doesn't have a big cricket scene no yeah but all of the a lot of the uh, british colonies so Australia, New Zealand, India, the whole Indian subcontinent, the whole West Indies, West Indies, mm-hmm. South Africa, Kenya, mm-hmm. all of these they have a pretty big, big cricket cricket scene yeah. and it's just something that in in the form of a world cup it sort of unites people and sometimes I run into people from New Zealand or Australia who are also just as passionate about cricket cricket as as I was mm-hmm. when I was growing up so I mean there was that in that case then we can definitely say the s- soccer right if that's something that was brought from Europe or or British influence then soccer is definitely one thing that when I talk about if if people don't really know much about Ghana and I say yeah I'm from Ghana they're like oh the black stars like if they're into soccer so yeah, they know yeah, about yeah. about about Ghana and like Gian yeah see right? I wouldn't have known about it <laughs> if soccer hadn't come to India exactly but we want to talk about Well, this that's the good effect, right? We want to talk about other things like some of the traditions and some of the culture, some of the lifestyle and things like that that even till now we see that influence. Gotcha. So, 
one thing i know is a lot of festivals in india they changed over the years and a significant reason for that was during the period of colonization people were desperate i mean it was not a pleasant situation to be indian and be colonized mm. and people were fighting it but it was going nowhere just because of how powerful the british were in the 1800s mm. late 1800s mm. so some of the festivals that we have are a big deal in india right now were created and they were hyped up in order to unite people into having things that that they can rally behind and okay. so give it give us an example so we have a festival festival called ganesh chaturthi i mean it's called different things in different parts of the nation but mm-hmm. it's basically it was it became a thing because you had these freedom fighters so, so to speak basically trying to bring people together and inspiring confidence in them by taking something that is native to india elevating it to a higher level making it something so big that everyone is excited about it every year and they just want to unite during this time was it for the sake of call it recruitment to their cause i think it was now i don't know if they used it for that or not but it's such a broad fest- festival you go to india right uh, i mean even now at least 10 years ago it used to be so massive you have like 50 60 uh, feet tall idols of of a, a god basically that are being carried around on the streets and you have like thousands of these you have millions of these to mm. be honest every household has one and this became a big deal when you had this freedom movement become a thing so i wouldn't say it was necessarily for recruitment maybe it had its effects maybe it made recruitment easier mm. but more importantly you brought people to be inspired about something that was originally their ancestors mm-hmm. it wasn't something that was foreign it belonged to their ancestors you brought it and you made them realize that they can be inspired and they can celebrate this like there's no tomorrow so that's a good effect it was a reaction in a way it's like would you say that because someone punched you when you were a kid like a bully would you say that the bully did you a a good thing because you know you're now an accomplished fighter not really right you could have become an accomplished fighter without being bullied but mm, if you hadn't been punched you probably wouldn't have known, known but does that. but does that mean that person is supposed to get the credit for that and i don't think uh, the british are supposed to get the credit are they getting the credit Well, I would say it's it's not a in the sense when you asked if it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I would say that it is it was how these freedom these leaders basically chose to react to it. Mm. I think that was that's a really inspirational thing. And indirectly, this is one of those things that indirectly is influenced by the British colonization. I wouldn't necessarily call it a good effect of British colonization. I would say that they the leaders took it in a positive way and they they dealt with it and, and so that this is what we have now i see got you okay so for me when i think about the culture i think you kind of went a little different from the way i thought oh, about but no no you're good it's it's fine that we have this discussion but the way that i see the culture is in our day-to-day living um talk about our food right talk about the way we dress talk about our arts talk about our music um 
how that has changed since colonization or uh, when colonization happened, right? And, you know, I'm not sure what angle (laughs) or agenda the British had for India in terms of why they, you know, they colonized them and all those things. But for Ghana, you know, we were probably seen, and, and this is just my my opinion, we were probably seen as we don't know nothing. We don't know better. Like the way we live our lives is so bad that they need to teach us because we are not good enough. Gotcha. Or not even good enough, but we are like, like, like we lost. Like, oh man, what kind of, what kind of, um, dance is that or what kind of outfit is that mm-hmm. you need to be dressing like this right. that's how I see Ghana's colonization right okay. so even till today um, I'll give you a good example let's say I got a job in Ghana right and they say hey we got an interview for you do you really think that I'm going to wear my traditional outfit to go for this interview? My, my best traditional wouldn't. outfit it'd be considered unprofessional yeah you'll be like what's wrong with this guy right right or even even till now, like when we have our weddings, of course we 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 want to wear our suits. We want to have our wedding gown and all these things. That was never our our our, our culture, but that's how the Europeans kind of did their thing. And so when they came down, they're gonna bring that with them. So now that I've made a little bit of money, um, back during colonization, I've made a little bit of money or I have a little bit of prestige. I'm not gonna wear that African clothes no more. I'm gonna wear a suit. Right, I'm gonna buy my wife a nice dress. She can dress like the Victorians or whatever. Right, so until today, it still has that effect. Um, and that's that's the that's how I kind of saw the whole culture gotcha. thing. Okay. Um, even with the music, you know, we 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 want to listen to the the European music or we want to use their beat, and we're forgetting about. I mean, now I think things are a little little bit changing when it comes to that, but. You know, back then, like the whole drumming and dancing and the way, like even for India, I think Indians do very well of still keeping that arts, the way they mm-hmm. dance, the way they use their own music. In Ghana, we try to imitate mm-hmm. uh, the foreign or the, the, the European uh, way of doing things. So um, in terms of negative effects, that's how I see it. Um, I think we've talked about even like taboos and beliefs. It's we see it as, oh, no, that is kind, some kind of. Oh, uh, call it I don't know witchcraft. That's mm-hmm. not no. You can't. You can't be. That's 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 bad. That's that's not good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if that's what you were thinking no, about the culture thing. I yeah. Well, uh, great point. I'll say this: suits, for instance. I think it's almost like a graph which peaked uh, right at the time when the British colonization ended, where people were obsessed with everything that was british so mm-hmm. suits were a really big thing mm-hmm. my great-grandfather for instance he passed away i think 15 years ago he wanted to be cremated I, we cremate a wearing wearing a suit it was one of his things so that's what he wished is it is it normal for people to be cremated in a suit it's not but he wanted to be cremated yeah. in a suit he, he was a i mean he was a really accomplished judge one of the highest positions within the highest in my state one of the highest in the nations mm-hmm. and whatnot and he was heavily molded during this time when india attained independence and that's when his career began and so a lot of his life was during those early years when india was still barely out of that colonial rule so the influence was really high and yeah 
I make that connection now when you mention it, mm. how he was, how he wished to be cremated with a suit because mm. that's what he wore to work mm. and that's what his life w- revolved yeah. around. And pictures of my grandfather, I mean, his son-in-law, for instance, also he's typically wearing a suit. I mean, he was a doctor and yeah, it's a very similar uh, thing in, in that sense. But now as we keep moving farther and farther, it's becoming apparent. I mean, this contrast with what I said earlier about how people are obsessing over the language mm-hmm. and they're forgetting that progress and money does not necessarily mean language. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a realization that you're, you don't need these customs or you can celebrate your own customs while also being, uh, by being prosperous. Right. And so now when you go to Indian weddings, like just today I was at a wedding and I, I put on a suit because I was like, man, I don't want to iron uh, iron my traditional clothes. Like, I, you know. And then my roommate, who is Indian, was like, dude, what, are you what doing? the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And and, and then he, I was like, oh, man, now, now he called me out. And so I went, I spent the next 20 minutes ironing that stuff and, and getting it all ready. And that's what I wore. And so. so when, but when you went, how was it? Like, were people wearing the traditional outfit at the wedding? It, it was a mix. Okay. But you tend to see that a lot of people now, and this has become a huge market in India where it's all about really expensive, traditional Tradition. Indian clothing. Yeah. And for weddings, that's what you invest but in. You that invest is good. so much of that's money. That's good because, I mean, that's good in a way of like, as long as those uh, expensive traditional outfits are being made in the country, that's a good thing for, for people mm-hmm. that um, are creating these things. But if those suits were imported right mm-hmm. yeah then what's the point which would be the, which would probably be the case if it was a suit i mean clearly india was not i mean sure wool is probably really good in india too mm-hmm. but if that is not how it's been for 3000 years mm-hmm. you can assume that and if it's if it had a for, foreign influence it's mm-hmm. kind it, it's expected that the source of the raw material is maybe italian sheep or something like that mm-hmm. and so obviously the money is flowing there so you're right in this sense mm-hmm. now do I know the supply chain or where all the silk is coming from? Is it maybe it's coming from China for all I know? I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. So that's how I see the culture. Um, and but that's a I'm, great segue into economy, to be honest. Yeah, that's actually very true. So um, let's then let's let's just dive right into the economy part of of of, of this. So I have a question about Ghana in that mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. I know it used to be called Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. I, there was Ivory Coast next to it, and mm-hmm. this was called Gold Coast, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know enough, but I'm curious about how certain industries have stayed the way they, ha- they are the way they are because of, because of this. Okay, so give me an example. What industry are you talking about? I, well, I, I don't have enough knowledge, but I know I, I like chocolate, mm-hmm. like way too much. Mm-hmm. And it comes from Ghana a right. lot. So... Okay, so I mean, this is what I know about 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 Ghana, right? Or or even like you talked about cocoa, right? Um, to be honest with you, I have yet to see a Ghanaian company that's actually making that's actually making um, that's actually making chocolate. Like they have their own industry, they have their own everything making chocolate, right? Okay, so as I was saying, 
from what I know, Ghana and a lot of African countries still deal in a lot of raw material. Um, of course, we have the resources and things like that, but I'm not seeing like uh, industrialization where we are um, taking these raw, raw products and 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 manufacturing stuff in in, 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 in in Africa, right? You talk about you like chocolate. I mean, can you name one chocolate brand that's from Ghana? No. And in fact, I buy stuff in grocery stores here and it says that the coffee beans are from, okay, it's not Ghana. In this case, it's Uganda, mm-hmm. but it's an Italian company that's selling it. Okay. The only chocolate brand that I know from Ghana is called King King's Bite Chocolate. Now, if you ask me the manufacturer or what big company is making this chocolate, I'm not sure who, what, what the company is, but I would not be surprised if, even if it's like a, a, some sort of foreign company that's making the chocolate. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, in terms of, I don't think nothing has changed much when it comes to, um, back in the day, how the, the, the British called, you know, like you said, Ghana, Gold Coast and Ivory Coast and all these things. I don't think much has changed. And actually, I did watch a little video about how, and I'm not sure as to how true this is, but how Africa has been made like, this is your job. This is what we want from you. We just want you to be, just keep on being that supplier of raw materials. And that's all we need you for. Mm-hmm. We will take care of everything else. And so that's, and, and the person that was talking about this was a new European guy. And he said, this is the agenda that we have for Africa. We're going to keep giving them aids like they, they've, be, they've been given to us, like foreign aid and things like that. Um, and with those foreign aids, it's kind of like we're going to give you the aid, but you're going to keep supplying us with, those, with these raw materials, right? Mm-hmm. So till, till now, I'm yet, I've yet to see like, um, you know, African leaders and, 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 and uh, yeah, African leaders say, you know what, we're tired of this. We want to also get in the game of like manufacturing and and uh, processing of raw goods and stuff. That way, we can also be a, a big player in in this whole game. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's no, that's the yeah, little that I know of, of, of yeah, that. no, that's a decent bit of insight. And yeah, neither of us are economists, so this is based on what we see. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, I think India, which used to be historically a textile area, India used to be famous for its textiles and spices it has sort of emerged from that because like i said i think th- this is one of the biggest differences that uh, we see between india and ghana situation maybe it's just that india already had systems that the, the that the british pretty much sort of just stuck their hand into and they sort of used it as their own and so there was already enough and there it was a lot for them to sort of completely change and so they weren't able to to take everything with them when they left. And I feel as a result, when when they left, even though their influences were left in this cultural way, I think in an economic sense, the the effects were very limited because India's government right away had a lot of control. Mm-hmm. And for almost 40 years, they kept themselves under this heavily red taped system and that that only allowed local investment. So you have large Indian companies now in a lot of different fields 
as a result of that because you could only sell in India if you were an Indian company for a long time, mm-hmm. unless it was maybe really specific goods. Is that still the case now or no? Uh, around the 1990s, they, I mean, India was almost at a negative. They almost had no money. Mm. And at that point, they realized, okay, yeah, we need we need to open the economy up. And that's that's when all the money started flowing in. So, I mean, so do you think that now if India was like not to make trades with other countries, like, and, and also correct me if I'm wrong, because I know China was kind of closed off for a long time while they did their own thing, right? And of course, eventually opened up and now we have, we see, we see what's going on in China. If any country or a country as big as India or even a whole continent of like Africa was to say, look, we had it. We're going to close off our, our, our borders or, you know, these are our demands. Let not even, not even closing off our borders. With this, our demands, we're going to still do trade with you and everything else. But these are demand that plays into our, into the continent's advantage. Right. And the Europeans or whoever it is, US, China, whatever, say, nah, we're not going to play ball. And they're like, okay, if you're not going to play game, then we're going to do things among ourselves, have our own currency, trade between the countries and everything. Do you think that's something that's going to be sustainable just for that continent? Well, for Africa, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, the only thing I can tell in that context is Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was a piece of shit and whatnot. He did all sorts of messed up stuff. But the moment he started to talk about having this this trading block and having a currency to rival the dollar and the euro, look at what happened. I mean, yeah. I don't want to get into graphic details of how he was killed, but yeah. we know that it wasn't just a normal mm-hmm. death. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. There are political forces that are way too powerful to let that happen. Mm-hmm. And very good point you bring up. And I don't know, this is... This is definitely something we could talk about for a very long time, right? And I've, I've I've talked about this with my with my big brother, right? And we talk about how if it's too late, if it's too late in the world for a place like Africa or Ghana, or not even Ghana, Africa as a whole to say we've had it. Everybody say we've had it. We want to be a big player. We want to start doing innovative things and changing the whole continent because you know, it's not right now. We're so behind on everything, and if the 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 world powers are are, are, are gonna allow it and say, okay, if y'all want to do y'all's thing, go ahead and do it, because you know, when it comes to technology, we're not there, right? And when we talk about technology, we're talking about all these, even like the the the, the atomic bombs and the missiles and all those, because I think that's what makes you. Uh, 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 have a word like that's what brings you like you can sit on the table with us if you don't have that nobody's scared of you so what's your take like what's your opinion like what do you think do you think we're gonna get to that point where we'll be like okay like we have a voice too this is what we want well I'd say that that is that, that should be the goal yeah I think you always need to strive for that and I think the only reason that India is taken even as seriously as it is is because they sort of had almost 40 or 50 years of, like I mentioned, a closed economy where it was mostly within themselves. They were able to nurture enough local industries and sustain themselves and become this economic, this lucrative economic zone. And and how how did that even happen? Like, because if, like, let's, you know, going back to Africa, 
so many materials, so many resources coming from Africa that if you close it off to to other countries, right, it's going to be very difficult for them to sustain. I wouldn't survive. say I wouldn't say it was closed off in that sense. India traded a lot uh, during these days, mm-hmm. during these early days. But what was different is you had restrictions on who could enter the market and who could play as a as a company and i don't know what it's like in ghana and i'm actually curious about that if foreign companies have always been allowed to enter no restrictions on them and start being major players i mean imagine if you have ghana in the 1950s the economy the state of economy it was in it was probably not i mean it was definitely not the same as say sweden or norway mm-hmm. but then you have ikea suddenly entered the whole picture i mean i don't know if ikea was big but assuming it it, it was as big as it was and it just starts to play in the local market in the furniture business can you imagine any any other competitor even coming up absolutely not Mm-mm. and so that's i that that would be the first thing to look at if if that had any if, if that uh, restrictions were if that restriction was in place and if it's not i mean i'm no economist like i keep saying but so i have to be optimistic about this is it too late mm. i don't think it's ever too late Okay. I mean, you you have changing industries and it's called leapfrogging growth in that sense in the sense sure, you missed out on going from having industrial a, revolution type yeah, thing. You you missed out on maybe having computers, but mm-hmm. who cares? Now you have mobile phones. Mm-hmm. Just put cell towers everywhere, you're on the same level as as Europe which right. went through having the well the mainframe computers everywhere and then the personal computers in people's houses and all these things to eventually get to the same point that you already are. That's right. Because costs are constantly keeping on going down and whatnot. Okay. So, all right. Right now, we are almost 50 minutes in. I like to keep this like an hour. So, the last point that I wrote down is governance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we can talk about that. And I guess at the end of it all, we're going to tie, tie it all together with like how we... I know like right now, we, we, we live in here in America... Um, but how we can, what are some of the things that can be done? Some of the things that we can do to kind of change a little bit of the effect. Of course, it's not all effects that's bad, but the things that we see as these are pretty important. And even for our kids and the next generation, we need to kind of teach them, you know, we, anyway, we'll come back to that, like how we can make those changes. But anyway, the last thing that I have on the list is governance. So I'll say this. I don't know, honestly, how to estimate something when it's the only thing you have. So India, since 1950s, has had this, what we call representative democracy. It's very similar to what the British had, Mm -hmm. where you have sort of a, you have two houses. It's what the U.S. has to, you have the Senate, the House of Representatives, Mm -hmm. which together are the Parliament or the Congress over there. It's called the Parliament. Mm -hmm. And people are elected. Now, how they're elected in the different chambers differs but i would say i would say that compared when i look at at china the question really is because china was one of those nations which said we don't care about what other what the rest of the world is doing we have had a culture that has existed for over five thousand years we don't need democracy the way that they're talking about it the way that these western nations say they've found some sort of a solution to human suffering and i think and i think 
India, when I when I see that, I, I, I'm sort of questioning first, is it, is it the right approach or should they have done something like China where they should have gone with, with a model that's more uh, in line with, with what was existing in India prior mm-hmm. to British colonization? Mm-hmm. But then I don't know what that is. And at the same time, I also know that there are so many disadvantages with having the Chinese system mm-hmm. where, I mean, freedom of expression and things like that... It, it's not as easy to take it away as it is in China. It's still done right now. It's it's being done, but it's not on the same level and it's not as easy. Mm. So I would say that governance in that sense, there's a massive influence from the British. It's almost entirely the British system mm-hmm. that's in place over here. Mm-hmm. I mean, as for how we can play a role, I think think that technology really is a great opportunity we have i mean just this podcast for instance we're able to record stuff now if we could make youtube videos sure i mean it's not the same as being in the ground with actual people and representing them but it's one way i mean if you are in the ground over there you're still probably going to make youtube videos Mm -hmm. so you still have at least bunch of those things at your disposal to actually go and reach out to people Mm -hmm. and start making an impact and i think that it makes a lot of sense to be participating in this political process and to to enforce change in in a lot of these topics that we talked about we identified a lot of these things which have a role in everyday lives of people in these areas Mm -hmm. And I think that politics is one way of enforcing change and to enforce policy and these things to bring changes to the status as it is. Gotcha. Okay. So for the governance part, um, well, my take on it is I think our governance is pretty much the same as India's governance, but we don't have the prime minister. It's more like, or let's say the American system, right? Every four years we go vote, democracy, um, Democrat, Republican, things like that, right? Um, but the part that I think, or to me, I don't think that system that was put in place for Ghana, right, works. I I, I believe it's it's really one of those things that has failed the country. Um, and the reason why I say that is because I uh, let me let me use my experience from when I lived in Kumasi, right. So Kumasi is known as the Ashanti region, right. And you probably heard of the Ashanti King or the Ashanti, yeah, Ashanti King. His name is um, Otunfo, right? Okay. And this is a name or this is a person that is really feared, like in the Ashanti or actually in Ghana or Ashanti Kingdom. He's really highly respected, right? He's like the king um, of, of this region. Um, and just even recently, I think maybe like two years ago or a year ago, um and I might I might not have all my facts together, but either his mother or his wife or some somebody close to him passed away, and as he was going to bury the loved one that passed away, they have this saying this uh, uh um rule that's kind of like the king Otunfo is going to bury his loved one right. Everybody there's a curfew in place. Everybody needs to go to sleep or something like that. Everybody needs to stay inside because it's tradition. And guess what? Everybody stays inside. Hmm. Everybody stays inside because they fear him. Like, oh man, if they catch you outside, they can do this to you. They can do that to you. Like those, that quote unquote old school way of like doing things. Hmm. Like, you know, you don't want to be caught. You're going to get your head chopped off. Things like that. Right. And everybody 
till today. People are scared about things like that, right? But now you have democracy or you have these politicians and they can say this or say that and nobody really cares, but they're the ones in power though. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And and for me, I feel like that type of ruling or our current politics is failing us or it's not working because, you know, way back when we had kings and we had chiefs and we had, you know, the different, they were respected. And so let's, let's, let's take... Kumasi, for example, I believe like today, if or the, the king, he's Otunfo, if he comes out and he says, we want to make a change, we want to see the community mm. become better, we want to start a program where every Saturday, everybody got to go out, let's say if you are the age of 15 or 13 and up, mm-hmm. community exercise, everybody has to do it. Mm-hmm. And he sent his his guys out there with their, well, I don't mm. know, rifles, whatever, right, right? and says... Everybody actually has. flexes and does yeah, it for flexes. something good. Exactly. People are going to be scared. People are going to be fearing like, yo, we got to do this. Like a tune for it's coming or this and that. Right. And and remember for them, their ruling is a lifetime, bro. Mm. They When they die, there's the next king who, you know, I don't know how the hierarchy goes, but there's a hierarchy of right. how everything Six works. Second, yes. so, there you go. So why not use it? Why well? not use All that right. power to make something good? Right. We have. So many bad things like the roads, the water system, electricity system. Like, why don't you use your influence and all your power mm-hmm. to, to make all these changes? You know, we're not seeing that happening. So I'm just saying like if Ghana was a place where you still had the chief, because this is just one part of Ghana I'm talking about, like the Ashanti region. There are different regions with different kings and chiefs and all these things. And they're responsible. They have control over the land. They have control over the natural resources out, out there. Even though, yeah, it's for the whole country, but that region, they ha- they have the charge for it, right? So if you want to buy land or if you want to mine or if you want to whatever, you have to go see the chief. Mm-hmm. So if these people could really understand that they have, and, you know, like I said, it's my opinion. Maybe it's way more bigger or way more things to, to this than I'm, I'm saying, but I'm, I'm just saying that if they could, if people feared them, and they had that much control and that much power, what kind of change and what kind of difference would, could be made mm. with that type of power? But we're not seeing that. Right. You know? Um, and also, I think I made this point to you earlier, and you mentioned that um, I should definitely speak up on it because why did she say that? And I was telling you, like, I asked my grandma this question. I said, Grandma, you know, now, with you being, you know, my grandma is like 80 plus. I said, Grandma, if you had to go back and you were like 16 or like 18, now, 2021, and I told you that, hey, I want to bring you to America as a as a as a as an 18 year old or as a 21 year old, I said, I want to bring you to America. Would you leave Ghana? She said, I wouldn't even think about it. I'll be gone right there. I'll be gone. Okay. Then I asked her another question. I said, Grandma, back in the day when you were 16 Mm -hmm. and when you were 21 or whatever, um. If I had told you that I want you to actually, she was sixteen. I said, if I told you you were six, uh, if I asked you that I want to take you out of Ghana, would you leave? She told me no. Now, mm. now guess what? During this time when she was sixteen, it was definitely under British rule, right? So I asked her. I said, why, 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 why not then? She's like, Cedric, because Ghana was good, right? We had a bunch of food, you mm. know, like family. Everybody was together everything was great like there was no 
nobody was was struggling to find work. He was like my dad was um, which is I guess my great great no my great grandfather yeah. was uh was um uh, an engineer or like a builder, and uh, he rem- uh, she remembers that during those times they were building some hospitals and things like that, and the only thing that was like um prerequisite or qualification for being able to get that contract was every contractor had their own tools for mm-hmm. building. So when you show up to this job site and you show your set and everything is like, okay, this guy got his, his, his tools and all that, you qualified, you get the job. Mm-hmm. And when they go to work, they get paid, everything was good. But now the system is not like that. People who have qualifications can't even get a job. Why? Because the government is not even creating jobs. And I'm not saying it's the responsibility of the entirely the responsibility of the government to be creating jobs, right? I mean, people can also go out there and create jobs and all, all, all that stuff. But even the systems that's in place for the citizens to get those businesses created is very difficult because you know the deal, corruption and bribery and all these things. People get fed up. And they'll say, you know what, screw this. I'm trying to create a job. I'm trying to create a business. People can get hired. And you want to give me this hard time? Screw it. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, I think the governance or the way that things are happening in Africa or in Ghana in particular, it's really fading a lot, a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. People that have college degrees and, you know, they just can't find jobs. Yeah. So. But the, the point where your grandma said it was actually better back then, I mm-hmm. think that was almost like a coin flip because... Well, I mean, I don't know if it was the same throughout all of Ghana or maybe her impression that maybe now is biased. It's like you look back with nostalgia on, 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 on the uh, days when yeah, you were younger. younger. Yeah. But in India, I know my, my, my grandmother was talking about this recently about how, and it, this is a well-known thing. During the Second World War, the British basically took all of the produce from India and diverted it to to uh, England England mm-hmm. to support their war efforts mm. and that was if you look at it, it it's called a famine the Bengal famine and the world population actually dropped you, you'll actually see a slight dip in in the world population because that of was the number of in people. India yeah that was the number of people that Dying. killed when Winston Churchill did this mm. so I think at that point it was just a coin flip it was if you get Winston Churchill flip, flips a coin heads you die, <laughs> tails you live. It. That's what it was like. Mm. So, so okay. So I that. guess to finish right now, we are at an hour mark, and to kind of cap everything or put everything together, uh, just just tell me if you or going forward, like if you have kids or um, going, you know, I know, like for you, you want to go definitely go back to India and things like that. What are some of the things that? you can do to change some of these effects the the you know i'm not saying everything is bad right things have happened it's history we're dealing with some of the effects now good and bad what are some of the things that you could do to kind of bring some of that or change the way life is now so some things that i'm actively working on is i make it a point to try to use telugu as much as i can or hindi if i'm in depending on which region of India I am, mm-hmm. as much as I can, so that I'm not, I'm not playing into this, this, uh, this basically delusional idea that language is equal to progress, mm-hmm. that English equals progress. And I think that'll bring back, that'll inspire confidence among people. 
it'll help inspire i'm obviously not the only one people have been doing this for thousands of well for for uh, decades now mm-hmm. and uh, thousands of them have been doing it so i would say that i i want to play a role in that in that pool of people so in that sense language and it would inspire people to start to dig in more into their own culture and actually find out what is going on for instance when people look at some of the texts that we consider sacred texts in in our religion uh, they don't think of them as philosophy that is exactly what they are but then when i use the word philosophy suddenly they think oh you're talking about the greek stuff like socrates stuff yeah that's the point to which we're we're refusing to uh, uh, let our imagination go where it's so constrained we don't even realize that we're basically sitting on all these things that we could use for our advantage and to be more precise it's going to be more relevant to our context than anything else so mm. I, yeah i would say the cultural impact is definitely there that's something i hope to do where i tr- i want to inspire what our, what our cultures are and try to bring that out more so that people can look to those for inspiration and we're still in the same geographic location there's there's going to be a lot to learn the things that are going to apply better to our situation right now from mm-hmm. those than uh, foreign imports would potentially i mean not saying shut your mind out to other stuff mm-hmm. but look and actually figure out what you already have what you've been passed down so i want to inspire that as far as the governance goes i would say uh, like i said we have already discussed this i think we need to leverage technology mm-hmm. and the rest of it honestly i feel is is not that bad i mean in india at least i think things are going i mean we have our challenges the british divided us into into essentially three nations at this point mm. based on religion mm-hmm. and that thing is never going to leave the society mm. uh, it's going to forever remain polarized people are going to hate each other more than they hate anyone else in this world which mm. is in the first place how the british got into india as yeah. like i said so that's going to continue and you got to live, live with that legacy but at the same time i think that there's all and because of that there are so many struggles i mean people are being used people are being stupid they're being naive voting stupid people into power there's all sorts of mismanagement but i think there's hope mm. got you okay so for me um i think pretty much uh same thing you said right like we need to embrace and we need to embrace who we are right we need to embrace and and understand that who who you know our way of life the way we 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 dress our language is not inferior right we need to be proud of that right we need to be show the culture like you know the way we like like i said the way that we dress we need to show it a lot more we need to be proud of where we're from and we're very fortunate to to know i i, I say this i say this and and uh, nana doesn't really like it too much when i say that it's like we we're fortunate to know where exactly where we're from and not everybody is like that hmm. and that's what i'm saying so yeah. if you can 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 show that um by the way you dress people would you know that would even bring questions like hey like i like the outfit what's that about and you can use that to educate people about where you're from and things like that right um now in terms of like religion i feel like that's even a part that i really struggle in um you know i am a christian and i do believe in god almighty but i want to read the bible more 
and not just read it as a story, but to read it to understand what really happened and you know what we've been taught from Sunday school to now, like how true is it, or like is it out of context, things like that. Because even in Christianity, you have so many different denominations, mm-hmm. right? And everybody kind of teaches things a little different, right? So I want to be able to spend time in Christianity and understand what it is that I'm reading. Because if you ask me about some stories, I can tell you the story because it's just a story. But what what type of what like what are you getting out of that story? Like what is it about that story that makes it so special, Mm -hmm. right? Because and that's the thing, like. In Ghana right now, like I was telling you before, there's churches everywhere. And you have people that are really out there trying to change lives and do good things. And you have people out there that are scamming people. Mm-hmm. And those people can take the Bible and, and and quote Bible verses and they're right on. They know everything in the Bible. But the thing is, if you're not a if you're not well versed and you don't know your stuff, you can go head to head with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So not just that, I want to be able to also understand what our ancestors, what they believed in and why they believed in those things. Right. That way you because everything, like I said, if you Nishan were to be born as a Christian, most likely you would be a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, if your dad was a Christian and your mom was a Christian and you were born into that family, most likely that's what you're going to be. But the thing is, you have to be taking, like, as we get older and we want to know more, we want to, you want to take some time out and learn and be like, why am I this? Or why, why is this this way? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, let me see. When it comes to education, I don't think you talked about that, but education is, you know, like I was saying before, maybe the leaders or, or the country needs to realize that our language is not inferior. Yes, you can teach English because right now English is universal. That's how you used to communicate all over the world on social media, things like that. But our own language is not inferior and it's not a bad thing if the kids or people learn, excuse me, in, in that language because mm-hmm. maybe they'll better understand, right? They'll better understand whatever it is they are learning and that's how innovation and, and new things can happen mm-hmm. because... That's how their mind works. Mm-hmm. When they go home, they speak in their local language. When they, whatever, apart from being in class. Mm-hmm. But class is where we've been taught, oh, yeah, if you go to school, if you're in class, that's where you, you're learning something. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's true, right? Um, what else? Um, in terms of economy, I can't really speak much on that because, like you said, you, we are not economists. And there is just so much about that part that I feel like, it might need we might need an expert on here to kind of mm-hmm. help us understand like how can we make a change but ultimately i think we just need to speak out we need to um uh, research and we need to just with with technology and, and social media today you know we just need to speak out and if something is not good something is go it's not going well we just need to to to, to say it mm-hmm. so that's that's what i have sounds pretty positive all right so guys, we have crossed an hour and ten minutes. Um, thanks, Nishan, for coming onto this podcast. I really appreciate you uh, telling us, um, you know, some of the things that you experienced in India, and you know, with like I said, colonization and whatnot. Um, now I'm glad I was able, also able to share with you 
what my thoughts are. I think this is probably the most that I've talked on the, on the, on the podcast. But uh, also, I just want to say thanks to anybody who took the time to listen to this whole episode. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll have Nishan on for something else because this man has. Uh, you really want that? Really <laughs> he has different <laughs> skills and different topics, and he's interested in a whole bunch of different stuff. So once again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and I'll see y'all in the next episode. Uh, thank you everyone.